0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Finding Home Podcast, As you know, I say home is more than just the sticks and the bricks that you live in. Today's episode is a little bit long, so I'm going to cut right to the chase. I'm talking to uh, three gentlemen who are working on a project called Love True, and uh, we're going to have a two-part series. I do go into that in the interview. We're going to have a two-part series. This is more them just telling their stories, and then next week, we will have them discuss this movement this creation that they've been working on so without further delay here is the interview i am sitting here with just a fantastic group of people i don't know what do you guys how do you guys refer to yourselves as a collective just
1: i would say we're probably as a collective we're the love true crew
0: the love yeah. true crew so i'm i'm here with with Nate and Jason and Levi who have started building something really cool and this episode is going to be a two-part situation because I really want to talk to these guys, as you know, about their their Utah stories, but also I really want to be able to dive in deep with uh, their movement and what they're trying to accomplish. Primarily, as you know, I I often say I I tend to think I just know all the best people, and whether they're people that I've been extremely close with for a long time, or whether they're people that I've just sort of known over my life, I just feel like all the right people have have connected into this, and that was kind of the case where uh, my friend Levi who. I, I went to high school with and, and from there it was sort of like, <laughs> and I know that guy just recently. We kind of reconnected because we have some similar goals and we're trying to accomplish some similar things. And, and we, we noticed each other essentially mm-hmm. on, on social trying to do the same sorts of things. And, and he's who introduced me to the rest of these guys and, and what they're trying to accomplish with love true. And that was such a cool experience for me because I'm always looking for people to, to, a, to be on the podcast, but people who are going to be consistent with what I'm trying to accomplish on the podcast and I want to help as much as possible and that only comes from having like good people who also want to help come be guests on the on the podcast which I feel like I've been able to do so far. So anyhow, say hey everybody. This is uh the Love True guys. Hey everybody. Hey. Oh, all right. What's <laughs> up? <laughs> <laughs> so as a movement, I know we're going to we're going to get into that further on, but I know it all starts with a story. Um and as I understand it, the the Love True movement starts with your story night. So let's start with you. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit of your background, kind of your, why you ended up in Utah, whether you were born here or a transplant or what have you. What keeps you here? And then ultimately, why, again, why you feel you stay and why it's important for you to be here.
1: Thanks, Keith. I would have to say, as I think about this, uh, my Utah story really uh, is a fluke when I look back at it. My dad grew up in Europe for a big part of his life with my grandpa. And my grandpa just ended up getting into the, being persuaded into the Mormon religion. And that's what I believe ultimately led him here. Uh, So that's how my dad ended up here. And then, of course, meeting my mom. I ended up being born in Utah, raised on a farm out in Draper, uh, Fitzgerald Farms, which was my mom's dad. So I got both sides of it in Utah. I got a very artistic side from my dad's side. Uh, My dad's dad was a painter. Amazing guy, and my mom's dad was a farmer. So I grew up on a farm with a very diverse mom and dad. Uh, I loved Utah. Uh, I didn't think there was anything past where I lived going south, right? (laughs) As a kid, it was all our farms and then nothing. You know, all I knew was north, going up to Salt Lake, to the Mervins, to uh, do some big time shopping during the holidays. I really loved growing up on a farm. Uh, I didn't have a big farming experience because I was allergic to everything. So I, I got to watch from afar, right? But I always wanted to, you know, I remember seeing my my dad and his cousin jumping across the silos, you know, as a kid going, whoa, that's so high and so cool. And watching all the other kids run through the cornfields and do crazy stuff. I really loved the mountains. I remember when I was growing up, Draper was very picturesque because there wasn't as many buildings and houses that I could look to the east and see all these big mountains. And then every night we'd look to the west and you could see these amazing sunsets Uh, back then it wasn't as built up as it is now. And I really looking back now that you brought it up, it's, it's bringing up all this stuff that I haven't really thought, which I think that's why it's such a cool podcast is because it takes my mind somewhere that otherwise I wouldn't have thought about uh, finding home and what Utah meant to me. Mm. And through this process, I see that uh, I grew up, and for a while I was um, in the religion, the prominent religion, but then at some point, my dad decided we weren't going to be there uh, anymore, so I didn't really grow up with religion. And I say this because it it goes really big into the love-true story, uh, that I, I just didn't have any sort of example. You know, I heard bits and pieces here and there, but I stopped going to church when I was about six and in Utah, in a small town, that was a big deal for us not uh, going to church. I remember hearing people say things, you know, as I'd be playing, and my dad would be mowing the lawn, you know, driving by and stuff. And the neighbors would look at us on Sundays and kind of stop. You know, my dad would be drinking a beer and I'd be sitting there going, "What? what's going on, dad? And he's like, "Ah, don't worry about it, you know. As a kid, I just, I had a mixed idea of what religion was or what it meant. But I see that all played in and was the main purpose of my life so that I could have that outlook. And that's really what I saw prepared me to be open to uh, what I call G, you know, Mm -hmm. that's a, as a definition would be like God of my understanding. Uh, It's a very personal relationship that I didn't find until way late into my life through a lot of struggle and really hitting my rock bottom. But I see that if I would have had a dominant idea or one way or the other against Mm -hmm. religion or for religion, I wouldn't have been open up, to the idea of Love True, which is basically living in love and truth. And I learned this through connecting to G and having him have me do all these crazy things that I was open and willing to because I'd hit rock bottom and I didn't have any direction in life. I was a st- what I would consider a very normal, average guy, right? I remember even... <gasps> reading an article one time and it was like an average American male is 165 pounds and six feet tall. And I'm like, that's me. I'm so average. Like I'm right in the middle. Like it was a safe thing for me. Right. But I see all these things played a part and Utah was the perfect place for me to have this happen because there is a a dominant religion, but there's also a very big community of diversity in Utah that Really, I saw both, you know, growing up, I had gay friends and I had people, my best friend was, you know, really big into the church. And I just fit in with everybody because I wasn't on one side or the other when it came to G. I was literally just enjoying everybody for what they had to offer. And I left religion out of it. Hmm. And in doing so, I I had a very colorful life and I tried on a lot of hats. You know, growing up, I I remember high school, I would, from year to year, I changed. Like one year I was a preppy right? I was really clean cut. And the next year I was like this surfer guy and I grew out my hair. And I remember I did it so much that people that I knew from the year before, not well, but I had had classes and talked to them would come up to me. This one time, this girl came up to me and and she said, are you new at this school? (laughs) And I remember looking at her laughing and being like, what? But I changed that dramatically that I was trying on all these different personalities to try and find happiness along the way i saw that it was all necessary for me to see that no matter what my thoughts and my actions alone could not lead to me finding something to finding happiness cuz i tried it all on i tried you know fitting in with the the good kids and fitting in with the bad kids and experimenting with drugs and alcohol and all sorts of colorful things to try and chase that and through my process uh utah gave me a very safe place to do that you know i grew up on a farm we we had that space available so I could have all the high school parties. Hmm. And my parents, because they weren't big into that, were like, okay, it's kind of the don't ask, don't tell. If the cops come, we didn't know anything was going on. But we had enough space that if the cops came, we could all scatter, right? I mean, literally, (laughs) I remember growing up, we would have this awesome thing because my dad was a fireman. So the cops, they kind of knew each other. So if it came to that, the cops would come scare everyone off and they'd run into the fields and drop their beer and we, it was all weeds and corn and stuff. And then everyone would leave out of fear. And then we'd go and like, you know, pick it up and gather it. And we'd have this big stash. And we're like, this is pretty cool. My dad knew the cops. so The cops were like, hey, no more. And my dad would pretend to be mad. And hey, you guys, this ain't cool, right? And I remember going, life's awesome, you know? Uh, but really inside it, it, I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't happy. I had no intention on creating something like Love True. Love True really found me through my willingness to open up to G, to say, okay, I I, I don't have anything left, right? Really short, simple thing is I went through a couple divorces. My last wife left me. Um, I had my uh, issues with alcoholism. And I finally surrendered. You know, there was one night that I just... I asked a very hard question to my ex-wife. She'd left me for another man, asked her if you know, she'd been with him uh, physically, and I knew the answer. And that was the night that I, I literally lost it. I just broke down. Uh, I remember walking into the bathroom, and it felt like my knees got taken out from underneath me. And it was literally, now looking back, I saw that it was G just going, here, it's time, man, and helping me out. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like. I just fell through this first floor and then it went away, right? That thought went away, but I was in such an odd, unfamiliar situation with that. And I remember just raising my hands and saying, help. And I didn't know what I was asking help for. And lo and behold, that was the first night I slept in like two, three weeks. I went to bed. And after that, all sorts of amazing, crazy things started to happen. And I just felt it. So I kept following it. And that's what led me to Jason. You know, there's crazy story that every person I met since there, and this has been about a two, two and a half, three year ride. Every single person that's come into my life, I haven't created. I've just been willing to allow it. I haven't pushed anyone away. And that's really how Love True Got created is me just being willing to go, I don't know what this is or what it looks like. I know it's uncomfortable and it's scary, but I get that. In the past, I ran from that, and I ha- that's what I got. That's what my will gave me. And I understand that how G's using it is to run towards it. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Running towards that, the fear and the uncomfortableness. And by doing so, all this started to get created. You know, I got these amazing business partners out of it and awesome stories that I could have never imagined it falling into place unless I continually surrender. And I'm willing to do the next thing like this, like show up and go, oh, there's a podcast. Oh, this makes sense. It's another crazy thing that I'm uncomfortable with. And I was even telling Jason on the way, I'm like, dude, I'm nervous. You know, and I do all these videos and stuff, but it's because it's a new space. It's a new mm-hmm. thing that I'm not in control of. You know, I'm going into a different environment. and But I see that that's where really the golden nuggets in life and the the path to happiness has come is my willingness to just do whatever comes up and take my outlook, my ego out of it as much as I consciously can. And I love Utah. I think I'll always have a place here. I'm really drawn to other places. Mm. And there's times in my life where I looked at Utah and it's like, I don't fit in here. But that was me trying to escape, just like all those hats I was trying on that I see when I step back and look at Utah now, what it really has to offer, uh, the diversity, really the family environment I really dig. I Mm. dig how things are set up for Kids, because I have a couple kids. There still is a couple farms hanging on, so it has that little bit of nostalgia for me. Uh, and growing up, you know, we still have some amazing sunsets. I mean, a lot of them are thanks to the pollution we have on some <laughs> nights. But those mountains are great to get out of that. Uh, so all in all, I I love Utah, and I think it'll always be my home base.
0: Now, you, know, you met Jason. You you told me a little bit at one point. It's kind of this weird happenstance. Tell us real quick about that, and then we're going to actually have, have Jason take over and, and give his background and such. So.
1: Okay, excellent. Uh, the, the quick version, the fifth notes, is that what they call it? I was invited. So when I first started to fill G, right, I didn't know it was G. I was just like, oh, getting goosebumps and energy and all this stuff. I got invited to these seminars by my ex-wife, like, hey, this will help us be good co-parents. Uh, and I was like, okay, she paid for it. I'm like, I'll show up, whatever. At this point, I knew that I was supposed to go where I was being led, especially when it was uncomfortable and scary. So I started going there. Well, the assistant to the main speaker, one day after I'd been involved for a while, asked me, because I was in really good shape, he said, oh, do you want to do a Spartan? And I thought he asked me if I wanted to spar. And I was like, (laughs) cool, sure. Like, I was afraid, but I was like, cool, let's spar, man. But then he's like, no, I want to go run a Spartan. It's like an athletic event. And at this time, I was saying yes to everything. I was kind of in that gym carry, like, just say yes, say yes to everything. So I said yes. Well, lo and behold, like a week before the event comes, he calls me and he's like, oh, and he hurt his foot and he couldn't run. And now I'm really scared. Like, what am I going to, I'm just going to go up there. I don't even know what direction to run. I'm like, I'm in. And lo and behold, I get a, on this group text, right? And Jason was one of them. And they were just looking to meet up and carpool. So I did. So these three people showed up. At this Winco, and we drive up. Well, as we're driving up, we were making small talk, getting to know each other. Somewhere along the process, Jason looks over at me and says, "Are you a trainer?" And I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" Because it was like two weeks before, G was driving me crazy because he puts these phrases in my head, like "be a trainer," "be a trainer," "be it," and until I take action on that, it just it won't stop. Well, so this had happened a week or two previous, and I had gone online and paid money to be a trainer. So when he asked me, I went, yeah, I'm, your, I'm a trainer. And he's like, okay, well, in August, I want you to train me. And I thought, cool. Okay, it's August's a ways out, whatever, you know, <laughs> August came along. And sure enough, Jason called me and I'd been taking my classes, but being very hesitant about it. And he's like, Hey, you ready to train me? And by this time, Levi had gotten involved and got me this office and was like, dude, you got to be a live coach because he saw what was going on. So I was set up, had an office, business cards, all these things that Levi made happen. I just said, yes, yes, yes. So I said, oh, cool. I have an office. Come to my office and we'll write on the whiteboard our plan, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I know it's awesome. So Jason comes. We figure out this 10-session plan. The price point is like, okay, we, we plan to work out. And I'm, and we have this snafu of, how am I going to train him? He doesn't have a membership at Vaza. And I add this part because it shows like G's and everything. So the night before, maybe it was two nights before, I go into Vaza. And the lady stops me at the front and says, hey, for $5 more, you can have any guest you want in for free, anytime. And me still being in my man brain went, no, like you're trying to sell me something. And I literally walked away like 10 or 15 feet. And I stopped and went, wow. You know, and I looked up and I was like, that's for me. Right. And then I walked back to her and I, I almost thought I was making it up. I'm like, it, this can't be happening. And I was like, Hey, what did you try and sell me before? And she's like a free membership for five bucks. You can have a guest. And I was like, ah, oh, that's exactly what I need. Okay. So I was prepared. A couple of days go by me and Jason start working out and we get to know each other. He was the content writer for the seminar company that I'd met the other guy for the Spartan through called Three Key Elements. So we just got to know each other, and but the working out wasn't really working. I saw that as G's way of going, hey, this isn't really what it's about. You're not supposed to work out with each other, even though I didn't know what mm-hmm. the true answer was. to Within the week, where I, all this stuff's jumbled up, but I was doing all this stuff with G, right? As far as... Going all these places, doing seminars, singing songs, dancing, going on auditions for being an actor, crazy stuff. And I was asking, I was getting frustrated because I didn't, it didn't make sense to me. And so I was very adamant with G and I was like, hey, what's going on? Let me know what's going on. And after a few days of like bugging him, he finally said, write your book of how I built you and use that book to help build others. And so I went, oh, okay. But then I said, I don't know how to write a book. So, Lo and behold, the 10 sessions came up and I'm sitting there nervous and scared, like, oh, I've got to go in there and tell him I don't want to work out or this isn't working or say, do you want to do it and re-up? And I'm in this weird new place. And as I'm going in there, G says, have him write your book. And I stopped for a minute. I'm like, okay. And then he said it again. like it. It's not like I hear his voice. It's not like, Nathan... It's just, I oh, know that's a better story. So <laughs> like, I, I really want it to be like, right. that <laughs> right. you know, sort
0: of situation.
2: Oh, the best part is everyone else in Vasa turned around because they heard the voice, <laughs> heard too. The voice <laughs> too. Over the PA system. <laughs> it starts raining. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I start, yeah, levitating. And and what it really is is it's, I know it's not me because it's not something I want to do hmm. and it won't go away. So it's it's this constant like backwards thinking that I learned to catch on to it was G because. No way would I ever choose to be the love true guy or to be the trainer or any of this stuff unless I was given that opportunity and then had to surrender my will. And so, of course, I keep hearing this and I'm resisting it because to me, it was a little scary to go up to him and say, hey, I think you should write my book on love true. You know how I've been talking to you about God and all this stuff. But I did it anyways. And I I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but I went up to him. I said, hey, uh, this is going to sound weird. Or crazy, but G told me to have you write my book. What do you think of that? And one thing led to another, and he's like, that sounds awesome. you know. And from that, that day on, we started to produce the book, which then that's how the name Love True came up, as we wrote the book on basically what G had done throughout the last, I don't know, a year, year and a half that I was into the process at this time. I just started doing it, and I had started already recording on my phone, like chapter one, chapter two. And that's exactly what he does. was listening, take the content, and then make material out of it. We're sitting there, and we're trying to come up, and we're like, well, what is this book, and what is it about? And we were playing around. I'm like, well, it's really around love and truth. Like, It's my truth of what came out through this process. And then the love in which I was willing to give myself, G, and the planet, which facilitated in the truth growing, and then in reaction, facilitating in the love growing. And that's how then we came up with Love True. And I remember saying, "We're like Love True." And We both were like, "That's it, that's it." And the way it was spelled, and we kind of had this little mm. Christmas moment, you know. We we're like, <laughs> "Yeah, we did it!" Mm. And and that was awesome, beautiful.
0: I loved it. Very,
1: very So that's how I met Jason. Very, very and cool. In it.
0: Very cool. So so Jason, now it's shifting over to you here. You've accepted the challenge there to <laughs> the mantle to write the yeah. book. Tell us, just give us some of your background. <laughs> You know, how'd you end up here? Because I know your story isn't that you were born on a farm in Draper. So, so, so go um, ahead and, and share with us your situation up to up to meeting Nate and
2: So I was I was actually born in St. Louis, Missouri. And I grew up mostly in Colorado Springs, though. Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I still love it. It's still the place that I consider most my home, even though I don't actually have any family living there anymore. And I grew up as the Mormon kid. I was just totally 100% Mormon. I was the guy who would slap my friends when they swore. I mean, I, it was...
0: You're making me glad I didn't hang out with you <laughs> when I was younger, so...
2: Well, and it's funny because all of my parents' friends loved me mm-hmm. because I was the good influence. Well, yeah. You know, I was the one who was going to make sure that they, they were on the straight and narrow. In fact, I've had a few experiences where while I was over at their houses, I've, I've got one friend in particular. I remember his grandma who he lived with turned me in and said, you know, you're such a good influence on this kid. And then she turns to him and says, why can't you be more like Jason? (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought, oh boy, this is... Because a lot of it for me was, it was a face that I put on. I was very good at helping people see the right side of me so that I looked good. It was a good experience for me growing up that way, and, and learning how to do it, and living and growing up in such an orthodox environment really... Set the foundation for who I was going to become, I think is the best way to put it. I went on a Mormon mission. I went to Peru, spent a couple of years down there and had an amazing time. And then I came back and I went to BYU. And I do love BYU. It was such a change for me because I was used to being the kind of the top Mormon dog in, oh, in my city. Uh-huh. You know, I had all the top callings. I was, I was that kid and then i come out here and everyone at byu is that kid every single person you don't get into byu unless you're good at singing and acting and also you've been your the head honcho in every quorum you've ever been in like that's just that's how you get into byu and so i got there and i kind of lost myself for a little bit because i was trying to figure out like what do i mean if i can't define myself by my religion anymore mm. Growing up in Colorado, I was the Mormon guy. When you come to Utah, you're not the Mormon guy. Everyone's the Mormon guy. And especially at BYU, you realize that there's this whole other layer to Mormon culture that you never realized before. And so it was hard. I went through different phases. I was so Mormon that the only thing that was really separating me was the fact that I was raised outside of Utah. So I got here, lost myself for a while, trying to figure out who am I now that I'm not just the Mormon guy? And while I was there at BYU, I did a lot of different things, scrubbed a lot of toilets, working my way through college. Not a thing a lot of kids my age can say, actually. <laughs> Anymore. I'm, I'm the young guy in the, in the crew. Uh-huh. But yeah, scrubbed a lot of toilets, um, pruned a lot of bushes. And eventually, I actually landed a job working as a research assistant to some of the religious professors there at BYU. And so I have done the hardcore deep dives into Mormon doctrine in ways that most other people never really ever get involved or even care to get involved. And through it all, I can still say that, like, unlike everyone else here in the room, I'm still a very strong practicing Mormon, but I can also say that that doesn't define me anymore. It's not who I am. It is something that influences my behavior a lot of that, a lot of what helped me kind of find that place was I met my wife down there and she grew up in Draper. She wouldn't have even given me a second glance when I first arrived at BYU because I took pride on being different, on being weird. I was the kid who my, my favorite pair of shorts was a big, baggy pair of purple shorts. They were knee length, a little bit lower than my knees, and they were baggy and they were about the color of a Utah sunset. And faded.
0: That's horrific, but okay.
2: Yeah. Well, the thing is, too, I'd had them since high school. They were so old that when I wore a hole in one of the knees, that's how long they were. They had knees that could have holes in them, that I actually patched it up with a tie. They were grotesque. And I, I liked wearing I'm, it. I'm, my... I'm losing <laughs> just a little bit of respect for you as, as you go
0: down. As you go down this particular narrative, like everything else is really cool to me. Yeah, exactly. You, you find out BYU who I really experience. am. You, you know, you survive like. A, a deep dive into some you know some stuff that other people can really have trouble with here people who grew up lds and such yeah you now i'm painting this that, word right? picture of yeah, these horrible like, like, here's, things here's, this, yeah. here's this, <laughs> this guy who's got his his shit together essentially <laughs> and then you start telling me about these shorts and i'm like oh never mind
2: yeah oh, <laughs> oh the best part was i wore it with a mission shirt that was bright yellow and inca cola shirt and that was my favorite outfit let me tell you i thought i was hot stuff when i wore that and I, I slowly came to the realization at BYU that I was getting looks. And one day finally realized that uh, women at BYU were looking for three things. They're looking for a guy who dresses decent, works out, and has a good head of hair. Uh-huh. And it wasn't that they were looking for some guy who was super spiritual. They were all supposed to be super spiritual. Mm-hmm. And so I changed some things around and you know went out and spent some money on clothes for the first time in my life. And actually decided I could dress decently. And it was a good thing too, because uh, my wife told me that one of the things that she liked about me was that I wore vests, <laughs> which I know that sounds like something now, but let me tell you, it was a step up.
0: <laughs> well, no, I just think of, there got to be a point in my life in high school, and I'm I'm 10 years older than you, where it got to be the point where like, hey, you need, you need to wear less vests, man. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's just dial back the vest wearage a little bit. And so, you know, it's all relative, right? Like for yeah, me, exactly. more vests would have been would have been the wrong thing to do, but for <laughs> you, it was, it was the right thing to do. So, oh yeah,
2: for me, it was stop wearing baggy clothes and start wearing stuff that fit a little bit better. And you can wear a button-up shirt with a vest, and it looks okay. I get out of college, get out of BYU, and my wife and I are thinking, okay, we've got to get out of Provo. So we finally get out of Provo, and we move to Midvale. And we're not talking nice Midvale. We were in the area of Midvale that was within a couple of, like, we were within walking distance of the highest crime area of Utah. Okay. We were in some pretty interesting areas. And it was while I was there, actually, that I started working for Three Key Elements. And I started working as their, uh, my official title was copy and content assistant. You were a copywriter, though. I, I was a copywriter. Yeah. And that being said, like the company was great, and it was a it's a personal development company. Oh, they bad. put on seminars, they do recordings like they 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 really do help a lot of people, but one of the things is that they they work really hard on all of their members there, all of the people who work for them. if you can do something, they will find a way to put you to work doing that while I was there, I started off by just you know writing some emails that were going out and working on things, and very, very quickly started rewriting. Everything for them. Because Kirk is an amazing teacher. He really is. He can get up and enthrall an audience of a thousand people and just get them moving. But that being said, and he knows this, his writing skills are not top-notch, which is why he hires someone like me. Hmm. Because I came in and I ended up doing a lot of ghostwriting for him, and a lot of the emails that would go out to people, I would be end up writing those because his writing skills weren't great. He'd sit down and give me the ideas, and then I would make them sound good.
0: Which, that's the job of a copywriter, a content creator, a ghostwriter, yeah. whatever, however you want to call it. Yeah. It's really, it's what you do, you mm-hmm. know?
2: Well, and it, the differentiation is that copywriters are usually more ad focused, yeah, you know, drive sales, traffic, yeah. Yeah, drives, drive sales. And I quickly realized that I was writing everything. Mm. If someone was going to see it, it went through my hands. And I really enjoyed it for a long time. And that's how I, they invited me to do the Spartan. And I thought this is going to be a lot of fun. But I knew I wasn't in great shape. I was in decent shape, and I was looking for a personal trainer at the time. And so I went and met up with this big group of people. Didn't know any of them, but drove up to the Spartan together. Nate was one of them. And while we were there doing the Spartan, Nate just took off, and he was so far ahead of me that when we got done and we're driving back, I asked him like are, are you a trainer?" You know, I thought like <laughs> Hey, you know, I I want to be buff like this <laughs> I guy. Be that fast? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I want to be able to do that. And Nate's like, yeah, of course I am.
3: <laughs> now, Two I weeks. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there,
2: there's a lot of stuff there that I didn't realize until later on. We kind of worked out, and it was, it was kind of hit and miss trying to get together with him because he didn't want to get up early in the mornings, but I had to go to work, so that was the only time I had. And at the end of it, we connected, and he asked me if I wanted to write his book. And it was actually right at the time I was looking to leave Three Key Elements. I wanted to start my own business. I wanted to do my own sort of things. And I wasn't positive that it was going to fit in with my non compete agreement and everything. But I said, okay, we can do this. I've never, I've never written a book for Kirk. So I'll, I'll, I'll count that. Sat down with Nate and we started getting together about once a week. And he would tell me a story and I would write it down. And I, we worked together to make this book. And I learned so much through the process because I had done a lot of writing. And I was a good writer, but I had never tried to write a book for someone. And there's so much more that goes into it. I, I learned how to lay out a book. I learned all kinds of things about publishing and self-publishing and the different avenues you can go because Nate wanted me to be his one stop for everything. And so for me, it was, okay, I'll, I'll figure it oh. out. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And he did. I, I did. It was, it was an adventure, but I did. And so we finished up the book and we parted ways. And he kept going on with the Love True thing. And at the time, I kept going and am still working on my own ghostwriting. And I've written a few books since then for different people. And now I focus a lot more because Utah is a great market for this. People love genealogy. But there's this interesting thing where when you go looking at people in the past, you find that either you've got way too much information, they've got six journals and six volumes, and you're trying to... Follow them through all of it, and most of it is boring stuff about how today we went through the, the plains and ate food. <laughs> You're like, well, that, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> or you get the other side of it, which is you go and you look at your ancestors, and there is a dash in between their birth date and their death date, and that's all you know about them. I'll go to people who really do want to leave that legacy with people, but essentially what it comes down to is leave a couple of stories. Mm. And so I help people write their memoirs. Not a big, long biography, but just short little books so that they can leave something behind.
0: And they don't have to journal all the time.
2: Exactly. Well, because the other thing is nobody wants to read a journal. I mean, honestly, nobody wants to sit down and read a journal.
0: Let's be fair. Journals tend to be poorly written and very stream of consciousness. Exactly. And the details, I mean, and you know as a writer, you know how to tell a story, right? And people's stories are interesting unless they're poorly told. And that's really all it is. Somebody's regular normal day that's different than yours is going to be interesting to you unless it's poorly told. Yeah. And so that's that's very cool. I like that. as Well, and that's one of the
2: things that I did is I actually wrote a book called One More Story to Tell mm -hmm. that is about how to tell a good story, like how to write your memoirs so that they're not boring, so that they're not terrible. And a lot of it is it's just stupid, simple little things that once you learn how to tell a decent story, you can turn Johnny went to the store to get some apples into a good story if you know how to tell it right. That's kind of been what my mission has been, is to help people get their stories out there and just get them written down. They don't have to be anything big, but just
0: share that story. So that there's something left. Kids will spend all the money. All you really have to leave behind is your stories. Yeah. So you kind of left off at a point where you wrote the book. You and Nate sort of parted ways. What brought you guys back together?
2: So I'm Nate's publisher, which means that he comes to me to get more books. Every now and then throughout... A year or so as I'm working to get my own business up and running is he'll come back to me and be like, hey, you know, I need some more books or I need to make some edits. And he came back to me not too long ago and was just like, hey, you know, um, we're looking to redo the website. We want to actually get Love True up and running. We're gonna start doing a lot more with it. And basically just asked me like, what can you do to help? They said, we're kind of looking for someone to do the web design of it and maybe do mm-hmm. some writing for it. And I was like, hey, you know, I've done this for you before. I know what you're about. I, I wrote your book. <laughs> Always a plus. It helps. Yeah. And so when he came back, it was just kind of falling back together and saying like, okay, let's, let's make this work. Let's see how we can take this and, and turn this into a movement that can really change lives and make a difference in people's lives.
0: So we've got Nate with video, you with, with the written word, and Levi, where we have a common interest and where we kind of reconnected is over audio. And podcasting and and sharing thoughts. With that, Levi, let's dive into your story, your Utah story, and then how you ended up connected with with Nate and Jason here via Love True.
3: In I want I'd like to start speaking in in a in a mode of gratitude here. I'm thankful for Keith and what he's doing with his podcast, and and it was in trying to design um, and implement the Love True podcast that I came across you know, a guy that I went to high school with that I listened to his podcast and I felt like here's someone that's, that's putting out some, some good content. And so I really appreciate this message that Keith is, is keeping close to home yet, yet that underlying, um, current or theme of, of, of improvement of growth of really of, of love. And I I really appreciate that. So thank you, Keith. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So I was born in 1979 in Salt Lake City, Utah. I grew up in South Jordan. With a stop along the way in Murray. But I, I've had just a wonderful Utah experience. Being born and raised here. You really start taking for granted. These amazing mountains in our backyard. This greatest snow on earth. We would go down to Lake Powell. And just so fortunate. To have so many amazing opportunities. Growing up with a dad that works so hard to provide for me, my brother and three sisters. I got to do a lot of sports. Uh, the theme of my growing up was soccer. I I enjoyed that. It it really opened up a lot of doors and took me to the neatest places. We got to travel all around. We went to Pikes Peak and spent a lot of time in Colorado and, and traveled all over. And I remember dad coming along and he was the fun dad. I remember uh, we'd get those big 18 passenger vans and whatnot we'd find a a jump in a parking lot or a big mud hole and dad would just rally through there you know one time we missed a turn and you know he jumped over an island and you know his his theme. you know he's yelled back is it's a rental you know so (laughs) (laughs) so that was fun you know my dad he's really he's really shaped my life i'm so thankful for for the opportunities that i've had the the wonderful upbringing that I've had and it was in the very very heavily focused in the predominant religion of of this land which I believe is a beautiful thing and it's founded in love and people are are going down on Sundays and throughout the week serving and trying to find their happy and their connection with their higher power it took me a long time keith to realize that what's what might be true for everyone in the masses it doesn't necessarily have to be true for me a big theme that shaped my upbringing, uh, my life was shame. Shame is a heavy, heavy emotion. It's actually the lowest, the thickest emotion that there is to live in. When you spend a lot of time not feeling worthy or up to par with what everyone else is doing, or at least from the outside perception or what that looks like, you know, I spent a lot of time beating the heck out of myself. And that, that was a major theme in my life. Soccer continued. I was awarded a a soccer scholarship to this teeny tiny liberal arts school in Banner Elk, North Carolina. Super cool. In Western North Carolina, it was a ski town. There was two ski resorts there and the entire student body of that college was smaller than than our graduating class at Jordan High School. Wow. So it was small, um, and you got to know people, and it was very diverse. And I was meeting these, these people from all over the place. The people of North Carolina are so beautiful, so wonderful. It's a different pace of life. That played a huge, a huge role in, in my life. Um, that was an awesome chapter. I was a, a, played for four years, was captain of a soccer team. We won the big championship. I got good grades. I fell in love with a gal out there. We were married right after college graduation, decided to move to Raleigh, North Carolina to, uh, she decided to do law school worked while she went through law school. I was a public school teacher. It was such a cool experience. If every parent of a child could serve in a public school or school setting for a minute, they might be a lot more active at home, more appreciative of teachers and a little bit kinder. But yeah, that was a real You're in
0: Raleigh Raleigh at this point. In Raleigh.
3: Yeah. And what happened is Sarah graduated from law school out there, but I had convinced her, hey, let's move back out to Utah. My dad runs this awesome company. I grew up working for my dad and his company delivering paint. He sold paint to body shops. When your car gets crashed, he'd sell that paint and frame equipment, straighten out the frame, um, all the guns to spray paint, everything uh, involved in, and worked his, worked his tail off. Convinced her to move back out to Utah because we would go out while I was in North Carolina to the, the weekly Lake Powell trip that still went on. And, and uh, for me, that's one of the most spiritual, my favorite places on earth. Um, I hope to give my children experiences there too. Very special place. But we moved out here to Utah and trying to figure out how, uh, how deep here I want to go. But um, we moved back to Utah and she studied and passed the bar here in Utah and got working our very best friends that we were hanging out with, you know, just, just great people. And during that, that chapter in our lives, however, uh, my wife and Nikki started spending a lot of time together. Mm -hmm. And so she came to me one day and said, Hey, I've been cheating on you with Nikki. Oh yeah. And so I, you know, you, uh, you've seen that on friends or whatever it is with Ross or, or whatever, maybe you've, You've heard of that, but you know, that, that, (laughs) that impact on the trajectory of my life, the impact that that had, that was really huge at that point. Looking back now, I'm so grateful for that. Um, I'm happily married. We live out in Harriman. Um, I grew up right next door to Amy, uh, my beautiful wife, who is an RN, and we've had four beautiful children together. I'm so thankful for that and that opportunity to go through that extremely challenging difficult and painful chapter of my life. It was so awesome looking back now, yet so just so painful, you know, going through that. But I think that's what for me, Keith, that's what life is all about is is, you know, we've been talking about Jason and and writing books and whatnot and stories, which as a podcaster, you're telling stories on here, you know, weaving these beautiful stories and and incorporating other people's stories, which is awesome. And I hope to do the same thing. But the chapters of one's life, where that leads, where that goes, what that looks like, I think that really, that really is the secret sauce and the magic. We have the opportunity to go through these chapters while we're going through them and then look back. And I finally got to the point in my mid thirties where I was like, okay, enough. I'm going to start looking back now and, you know, looking at those things that happened." and how do you know how have they shaped me what was i supposed to learn what can i learn because it's taken me a long time keith to to actually come into my own to believe in myself enough to know that god spirit creator whatever anyone wants to call him or not call him that i'm made for a specific purpose here i can only be me and if i'm not me then the world is one less of me and so you know, I was I was the clown in high school, you know? I know we ran with different crowds, but I was nominated class yeah, clown. No, I was a chameleon, you know? So we were
0: just kind of talking about I, that, where you, you get to find at some point in your life. Yeah. You know, because that, that's how I remembered you, of course, from high school. And, and then here's this whole other human being.
3: Another human being, yeah, who's know? evolved from, yeah, during from, those different yeah. chapters. In high school, I had no identity. My identity was the culture, the doctrine, the... The people that I, I grew up with not feeling good about myself in that space, I searched around for an identity. I shopped. I changed. I'm a little bit like Nate. However, my identity, identity would shift midway through school or whatever that is. And, and of course, we're hardest on ourselves and the most self-depreciating, but, but that's truth, man. I didn't, I didn't know who I was and that was okay too because that's really allowed me to appreciate who I know that I am now. So the marriage and and divorce uh, with Sarah uh, went through that, went through some tough times after that, met up with Amy, my wife, even went back to default, even went back to, to uh, the way I was raised, the, the way of living that works for mom and dad. And seemingly all those around me went back and again, uh, figured that that was the recipe for, for personal happiness and uh, security and safety and success in in a marriage and as a father and and i'm not saying that it's not but for me it it just didn't jive with my soul always been a bit of an old soul even though i buried it under humor and substance abuse and other things well that that it just got buried under hurt and shame and pain went uh went through you know the 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 traditional marriage ceremony here of the land and it, it wasn't working out. Again, I was, I was very unsettled inside and something was just not jiving. That led to a, a rock bottom, if you will, after working very hard, having a successful company, transitioning into corporate America, into a higher level of consultative sales when I'm selling this sophisticated software to school districts around the country, business travel, which a lot of people know can be very tough on a marriage and a family Couple that with getting out of town to a place where nobody knows you, where you can sit at a bar and, and drink comfortably and not be judged. That led to a lot of imbalance in my life, which wasn't good either. Freedom and imbalance, you know, my pendulum swung from, from the shame to woohoo, here we go, you know, and that's, and that was tough too. That led to uh, some very dark times, 28 days in a a drug and alcohol rehab facility, which was amazing, which opened my eyes and saved my life. Literally, again, shifted the trajectory of my life. I'm so thankful for that time at the Journey Healing Center in Holiday, Utah. Beautiful. That literally, it it played a big role. And then coming into my own these days spiritually, finding myself and separating religion and doctrine with spirituality. Uh, I'm very drawn to Eastern Practices that they've, you know, these cultures that have practices meditation for a long time, Taoist, Buddhism, a lot of these things where it's a search of inner self. I really like that. I really connect with that. And I appreciate the fact that I know that everything that I need to know is within me. Not only that, but this life loves me. I'm here to win. I'm here to experience this. I'm here to grow. And I believe I'm here to find my tribe right now. To help gather in the people that are like-minded, that that think in a similar manner, that are ready and hungry for change, that see that there's a lot of dark and icky. However, there's so much more good and light, yet we're pretty wrapped up these days, be it politics or media or whatever it is, in a lot of just false garbage, if you ask me. It's just a lot of uh, smoke and mirrors. It's distraction. And so, love true for me is, is a connection with my highest and best self. Nathan has always made me feel not crazy.
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Takes one to know. One. <laughs> I was
2: going to say, is that by comparison or, uh, <laughs> right. But
3: I appreciate the fact when I find another human being, which now they're coming out of the woodwork and it's not by coincidence that helps empower you to be your best self to well, to actually be yourself, to be authentic in every conversation, to tell the truth, to say, hey, I messed up. Holy cow. Like, boy, I really screwed that up. And that's really affected every relationship in my life, um, my relationship with my wife, but mostly my relationship with myself. This whole thing is about self-love. And I spend a lot of time doing the opposite of self-love, uh, self-loathing and hatred. And, you know, even to the point of my destruction. By my own hand, trying to exit this existence and going to go on to the next. And I know that I'm here right now due to angels and guardians and protectors and spirits. I believe in omens and I believe in, in the things that we can't see, we can only feel. I believe we're all putting off a vibration and an energy and I choose to have mine be great. I want it to affect other people. I want to leave people feeling better when we leave and good about themselves and saying, wow, that guy really listened to me. A major thing for me right now that I'm extremely proud of is, is I'm attending school to become a clinical mental health counselor through the experiences and chapters that I've gone through. I believe that's built this great sense of empathy and understanding and a real, and I've been through almost everything. So it's, I can really relate to a lot of people, but I want to sit there and honor the gift that God Spirit energy creator gave me this opportunity to sit there and look at someone and help them offload offload a little pain help them be a vehicle for healing now that's based upon their willingness to heal you know I, I don't uh, proclaim to be Jesus or, or Gandhi <laughs> well, or again not cr- not crazy so, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> we're good but there you go Keith that's me I live here in Utah I love Utah I'm excited to live on the, the coast of California though Very But cool. uh, but that's that's my story. Hey, thank you.
0: So <clears throat> we're going to go ahead and just wrap up part one here. Um, I really appreciate you guys coming on and t- telling your stories. That is all we've got for this week. Next week, these guys are going to get you to tell us about what they're trying to build. Uh, it's not quite as long as this episode was, so I thank you guys for hanging out because this is uh, to date the longest episode that we've had. So if you made it this far, congratulations next week. We'll finish up with the Love True Guys. As always, you can contact me at findinghomepodcast at gmail.com. You can comment on the website at findinghomepodcast.com. There is also a contact form there. If you or anybody you know would like to be on the podcast, by all means reach out and let me know. In the meantime, we will talk to you later.